Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age, if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. So uh, we've got a very warm welcome to our guest today, who is Jared. Um, Jared describes himself as a middle-aged um, Born in Jehovah's Witness. Um, I, I think he's young myself. Um, he's a former elder and pioneer. He hails from the southern United States and he's been out of the organization for about four or five years. Um, and Jared actually reached out um, to us a bit earlier to offer help, which was lovely. Um, we said, well, first of all, we need to talk to you. So uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's great. Thank you very much for doing that, Jared. And welcome to the show. Well, you're very welcome. And thanks a lot for having me. First of all, Jared, I would like to ask you about your story. So maybe that's the best place to start. Tell us about your story. So you were born in, what was that like? What was it like being a young Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting upbringing now that I reflect upon it um, after the fact. Because when you're born in, you think that's normal. Um, there's, no, there's no questioning when you're a child are my parents really telling me what's right? Um, you, you look at your mother and your father as the absolute authority on everything. Um, they're your protector. They're your provider. And um, so they, they kind of select who, who's your friends. Um, you know, they're close with other families in that religion. And so their children become your friends. It's, uh, it's like a prepackaged deal, um, yeah. kind of like a... You go and get the meal with all of the meat and the veggies in one bag, and you just have to put them in the pan and cook them. And uh, that's that's what it's that's what it's like. So, um, especially in the time that I grew up, so I would say the 1980s were very, very much the time that that molded who I was as a person. Um, there was no internet. There's no um, there's no way to get information other than going to the library or the set of encyclopedias that we had on the shelf, or, of course, the publications, the bound mm. volumes. Um, you know, I used to love reading all of that information, but that was it. It was a very closed system. And so, again, um, your routine was laid out for you. Um, it's dependent, obviously, on how your family is. My, uh, my mother and father were uh, very zealous in the uh, religion, um, so they, uh, you know, he was, he was an elder and he was a pioneer. Mom was a pioneer. And so, uh, when I was very young, he kind of got burned out. Um, so he just stopped doing everything. And so mom, mom became the, the, the head as it were to use that term. Uh, so she, she tried, she struggled yeah. mightily to, to raise us because, 
you know, you want your dad uh, to be that person because you look around in the in the congregation and everybody else has their dad. And uh, so you wanted that. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think we were rebellious. I have two younger brothers. Um, the youngest one, I think maybe he was he wasn't as much of an issue because he was six years younger than I was. So during that time frame, that's a big gap at that age. Um, but it was, uh, mm-hmm. it was interesting because you start to feel like maybe you're not normal when you're in school. Um, you know, social media has made bullying easier, I think, but it was just as prevalent back then because the easiest thing to do is to pick out the, uh, the kid that's different. Um, and you've seen, I, I shared some pictures with you. Uh, I, I had some awkward stages. I had, uh, yeah, we were, we were very, um, we were very frugal. <laughs> we were, uh, we didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. so I got hand-me-down clothes. Uh, and, uh, you know, so you just, you just weren't the cool kid. Um, so on top of, on top of that, then you're the kid that, Hey, why is Jared going outside the classroom when it's time to celebrate this particular event or somebody's birthday or, um, you know, people would bring Halloween candy in the day after and you'd go, no, I'm not going to eat that. And, you know, I'm not saying brainwash. I'm just saying you were conditioned to go, that's bad. So then you, you wouldn't be passive. I was the type of person to be like, no, that's bad because Jehovah says it's bad. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so it was, it was, uh, it was, mm. I, I made myself a target. I think um, initially I was very, very much all in to the mindset of being a very faithful uh, JW. Mm. Yeah, when I look at those um, photographs you sent us, Jared, um, they it's strange. You know, we, we spoke to somebody last night from South Africa, an ex-Jehovah's Witness. We speak to American um, ex-JWs and uh, people from all over the world. And it's strange, isn't it, how similar the experience is, even though we come from uh, different countries and different cultures. But, you know, I'm looking at the one with you, singing um kingdom songs um with using the which we called the new songbook so that shows you how old i am um the brown songbook and um yeah it's just so evocative it it just brings back so many memories and and i i kind of look at you there and i think wonder what was going on inside your little head can you remember any of that? What was going on inside your head? Yes. Um, I picked that picture because that was a very defining moment in my life. Um, so, again, uh, the, my mother, she was very, I don't say clingy, but she looked for some type of male representation from a spiritual standpoint in our lives. And so um, I had an uncle who was who was uh, they called the presiding overseer at the time. He used his uh, abilities, I would call it nepotism maybe, to make sure that whenever the circuit overseer came to our congregation, I was going to get to work with him. He was doing a favor for his, uh, his, um, his sister-in-law, my mother. And, uh, and so that was, uh, that was a circuit overseer. Uh, Brother Simons was his name. He was of the anointed as well as his wife. And I remember it was so cool to get invited to that gathering 
because with dad being inactive, we didn't get invited a lot of places. So you felt almost isolated. Here you are. I can't have friends in elementary school. And you, you kind of you would get invited sometimes, but a lot of things it was more for the, the spiritual ones. And that, that I'll get back to that eventually as far as my motivation to become more spiritual, if we want to use that term. But I remember that event. It was at a, a dear old sister's house. And uh, it was more about the emotion. I don't even remember what we were singing, but it was just like, this is so cool. And he was like, he was like my idol. I, I, I remember grandma would record his talks with a cassette deck, the old, the old style cassette deck. And I would listen to his talks and mom loved his talks. It was, a, it was a, it was a good experience. When you said, so you sent like a little um, bio ahead to us, it sounds like you were, really into it from a young age like really like some of the stuff is saying like um becomes publisher at 10 and baptized at 16 so like you're properly going for it were you really believe were you like really truly believing when you were young or was it um like what was going on in your head i guess yeah that's a that's a great question um in retrospect i can say that it wasn't really a spiritual awakening it was more of an emotional bond that i had um I, I loved feeling accepted and I loved the thought of people liking me um, because you didn't get that in the, in the public environment in your school um, because of mm -hmm. being different. Um, so I craved that attention and um, even, even the witness kids could be a little cruel because again, I was the, the, uh, the, the acne all over the face, um, the, the bad glasses, uh, you know, just everything. And I think I was just socially awkward too, <laughs> but that, um, that moment of wanting to, to do something, it was like, Ooh, I'll get, I'll get an applause. If I give a talk at the, uh, at the theocratic ministry school, look at little Jared, he's only nine years old or 10 years old. And he's, he's reading the Bible in front of 120 people or, you know, even, even going in the uh, field ministry, the people that would come to the door, they could be kind and sometimes harsh, but it was like, oh, it's it's so cute. You're a little kid and you're talking about the Bible. I wish more kids were like you. Because in the 80s, there was no information out as there is now about what's going on, really. Um, so we were just uh, we were just a strange division of Christianity. And growing up in the South, it's considered the Bible Belt. So it's a very, well... It still is, but even back then, it was very, very much so. So you would get invited in. People would sit on the porch and talk to you about the Bible. And, you know, it was it was like, oh, so it was it was definitely for me, it was more of an emotional thing. Um, and I say that because when I mm -hmm. when I got baptized before that, you have to go over the questions. And I had somehow missed the part where you're supposed to pray and make a personal dedication to Jehovah. I hadn't even did that. I was just so focused on making sure I answered all the questions right. For me, it was it was all about checklist and affirmation. Um, so it was it was an addiction. Um, looking at it now, uh, not thinking about it then, but realizing that you know I was doing all these things just to to make mom happy. Mom wanted so bad to have somebody in her family that was that was the spiritual. Uh, patriarch, as it were. And uh, so 
so that was uh, that was the role that I assumed. Um, I think that was that was a lot of the reasons why I did what I did growing up and making all of that progress in that religion. That's um, that's so interesting. I mean, I, I recognize so much about that, Jared. We we could be brothers. Um, it's um, it's staggering. The uh, I mean, I think that wanting to be to get approval, wanting to be liked, wanting to um, be told you did a good job and you know well done you sort of thing. Absolutely, that's that's what that's what I was trying to seek. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I recognize a lot of that. Jared. Um, so um, your mum and dad, actually, I noticed that they got baptized early as well. They were very young, weren't they? You said that your dad was 11 yes. and your mum was 13 when they got baptized. And that's that's young for those days. Very young. Um, yeah. And, and they um, they just jumped right into it because they were part of that generation uh, where 1975 was going to be the end of it all. So um, mom and dad just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary in June. So, you know, going back 50 years, you're right, right before that 1975. So it was like, hey, we're going to pioneer hand in hand and go into the new system and everything's going to be great. And uh, nobody was having kids and they had me. (laughs) So (laughs) it was uh, it was interesting to talk to them, just thinking about our past conversations. They. their their moms were the ones that kind of got the family into the the truth. It wasn't the dads. In fact, my grandfather, my mom's side, he died in his forties, so I don't even know him. Um, but my uh, in my dad's side, grandpa was a World War II veteran, um, so he he smoked and was on a farm in Indiana, and uh, they. They kind of uh, did their thing, but it was the it was the moms or my grandmothers that uh, were influential in uh, getting the family going. So I have a lot of family that are uh, witnesses to this day. So you're getting third and fourth generation now. Um, so so definitely uh, that was that was their focus. Just um, a bit of an aside. It's not. It's not a que- line of questioning that I planned. But as you've mentioned the 1975 thing, um, obviously you weren't you weren't around. But um, what did your parents say about that time? You know, obviously they've said a bit about it. What well, was it? Because I have a particular memory of that. Um, what What was your parents' um, account of what happened over that period? Well, I'm glad you asked that because, you know, 1975 had a, a huge impact on my parents uh, because my parents, the reason that they don't have any money and they're still struggling to this day is because of 1975. Now, obviously, we all make choices, but they, um, my, my father was, was super intelligent. Um, he even had an opportunity um, to work for NASA. Wow. Um, they, they offered a scholarship because of his education and how much he had done in high school, but he didn't go to school because when they came to his house, um, my, my, uh, I have family that, that were there, so I wasn't firsthand, but they said basically, no, he wants to pioneer and put Jehovah first. So he missed out on an opportunity to, you know, be educated. And I'm like, well, then who knows? He wouldn't have met my mom and I wouldn't be around, <laughs> but <laughs> But they they became bitter. I remember in the 1980s, mother was very depressed 
And I remember I can remember her crying like because a lot of a lot of the other people kind of like some ignored it. They, they went to school or they got good jobs. And she was like, well, how's Jehovah blessing them? Because they didn't listen to what was being said. And now, you know, they've got money and they're OK and mm-hmm. we're struggling. And when I say struggling, we had to get government assistance. I remember getting reduced lunch in school. We'd stand in line to get powdered milk and government cheese. Right. Um, so <laughs> we, wow. we, we weren't like... <laughs> Okay, we, we were broke, hmm. um, but it, it didn't make mom and dad a bad parent. My parents loved me. I have no doubt about that. But the thing is, is that that 1975 got brought up as we did this and where's our blessing? Yeah. I remember them saying that. Hmm. And, and going forward, you know, there was a convention. And this was when I was physically in but mentally out. And they did that skit where... They basically flipped the pages like, oh, people were unfaithful. They never said that. And even my mom and dad were like, no, they really pushed it. <laughs> there was yeah. there was a very strong current, even from the publications, that 75 was going to be the end all. And I honestly thought that was going to be my, my end to say, here we go. I'm going to get mom and dad to wake up. And it didn't because the cognitive dissonance yeah. kicked in. <laughs> but... Yeah, 1975. Not to make it a huge topic, but it was it was big mm. because because I think um, looking back on it now, they regretted the fact that they did all of that and mm. where did it get them? Yeah, and uh, I know Dad probably regrets it to this day, even if he won't say it. It's really interesting. I mean, it does demonstrate the the consequences of bad ideas and of of bad information, doesn't it? Um, um, and the the vulnerability that um, a group like Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, or how vulnerable they are, really, the the, uh, the rank and file to these bad ideas. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I remember, because I was about eight, um, I was born in 67, so I'm, I'm a bit older than you. So I do remember the 75 thing, but I remember my mum saying to me, well, you know, around sort of New Year, after 75 had gone, and I remember saying, well, I wonder how many people have left the truth now because of this 1975 thing. But they never did accept it. They never believed it. I don't know what it was, but they didn't accept this 1975 guidance at all. Um, and it was just ambiguous enough for people to be able to go one way or the other, I think, um, which could have created a schism, actually, in the whole organization but it's a fascinating time actually so are they um still in then at the moment your uh parents Uh, yes uh, they are um mom and dad and my uh, youngest brother are all in Mm. Uh, mom and dad are super regular based on what i've been told Mm -hmm. Um, my middle brother never got baptized so Mm -hmm. he's he's the intercessor (laughs) if you want to call that (laughs) Okay, so um, tell us a bit about um, later then. So you you grow up as a Jehovah's Witness. You're a very um, faithful, if you like, Jehovah's Witness, or at least you're, you're going through all the right motions. Um, what happens next? So can you talk a little bit about your young manhood, if you like, what happens there? Sure. Um, so uh, getting baptized was was kind of a catalyst for doing other things. And um, there was a big pressure, I'll call it peer pressure, 
you, you've got your, your teenage buddies and you're all talking about what are we going to do? And um, it, this sounds, I, I laugh about it now. I'll probably start blushing, <laughs> but <laughs> it was like, you wanted to get the, you wanted to get the good sister. You wanted, you wanted to, cause you know, there's pressure at an early age, like mm-hmm. thinking about you get married very young, I think in the organization than in typical places outside of that religion. So, you know, you wanted to be the, the, uh, the cream of the crop as it were. So you're like, well, I need to make sure I have a bunch of spiritual qualifications. And one of the best ways was you should go to Bethel. Um, so that, that one picture that I sent, that's, uh, that's me and one of my childhood best friends. Uh, we went on a Bethel trip. My grandmother financed it and we took a bus load up there and so that's a picture of us in the World Trade Center, which is kind of eerie wow. thinking about that anniversary coming Absolutely. up. But it was I was so excited to I was like, yeah, I want to do that. Um, go to Bethel. And uh, again, it, it wasn't even it wasn't even for the right reasons uh, reflecting on it. Mm-hmm. But it was more of like, I just want to look more spiritual. I want to guarantee that uh, I'm making my parents happy and my, my friends happy, make even make Jehovah happy, but I, I don't even know if it was about him because I always struggled with things that weren't tangible. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't know how to put it other than that, but then um, Bethel kind of didn't work out because I was also involved with uh, quick builds, the RBC projects, which was another way to meet sisters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I actually ended up meeting somebody and and uh, getting married to them. Um, and it was it was through the uh, RBC. Right. And so that that was like, well, not going to Bethel anymore. <laughs> but uh, that, um, that not to go into details, but that marriage didn't last very long. That person ended up getting disfellowshipped. Uh, and uh so I was like just the single guy that was trying to figure out what's going on with my life. And so I said, well, I'm going to start pioneering. And so I, I started pioneering um, and uh, became a ministerial servant and was just the I was the uh, I, I think I think if uh, you talk to people retrospectively, it was like I was the little hero of the congregation because our congregation wasn't in the big city. It was, we were like the, the outlier congregation. Um, and so it was like little Jared was, uh, was always doing everything just so perfect. And that's a lot of pressure. Um, so what you do is when you do have struggles, you hide it. Um, you don't tell anybody and you just keep pushing forward because you don't want to break that, that perception that people have of you as being this wonderful person that just does everything so good. And I just wanted to make my mom happy because she craved that she wanted somebody to uh, be like, look at my son. And so, you know, right or wrong, it's what I did. The What Should I Think About podcast has been going now since around November 2020, and we've really enjoyed doing it. We release at least two shows a week. It's about eight a month, of course, with Sunday being an interview and Wednesday being our discussion about a new subject each week. We love you, our listeners, and we really value the interaction we have with you, and we want to keep the podcast going. Currently, I pretty much work on the podcast full-time, researching topics, booking guests, recording and editing, with Celine working part-time, doing very much the same things. 
So in order for us to keep going and continue to improve, we've reached that point in the life of a podcast where we have to make some decisions about how we support it financially. Most podcasts have ads, either that are delivered by the podcast hosts or from third parties that interrupt the show. We really don't want to do that. We want to keep the What Should I Think About podcast ad-free. So we're going to try something different to most podcasts. We'd like to ask you if you think this podcast is worth a pound or a dollar fifty or a euro twenty a month or whatever the equivalent is in your own currency. If you think it's worth that, we'd like to invite you to become a member or a patron for just that. So how we're doing it is we're flattening out our tiers on Patreon to just our single lowest tier. For those patrons, not only will you get the two public podcasts a week, but you'll also get exclusive video each month, bonus content of at least one a month and probably more, and exclusive access to the What Should I Think About Facebook private group, where you can contribute to our Ask Us Anything episodes coming up soon and talk about the show. We've got other plans too that will make your pound or $1.50 even better value. We can't say too much about that yet. We really want to make access to this community possible to everyone, and we think this minimal amount will do that, while providing the show with a small income in order for us to keep going. So the next few weeks, we'll be flattening out our tiers on Patreon and providing all benefits through the lowest tier, currently known as loss aversion, for just a pound or its equivalent in your own currency. So please consider being part of our community. Thank you. The link to our Patreon page can be found in the show notes. So after after uh, the um, the situation where I moved I, I moved back home. I lived with my grandmother uh, after the uh, first marriage dissolved because she got disfellowshipped. The um, the next part of my time was uh, was pioneering and um, I met a, a sister and she pioneered and we both got married and I went from there to uh, being a ministerial servant and then becoming an elder and I was very involved in the congregation. Uh, I went from being secretary to service overseer, talk coordinator, just all types of different I guess you, they call them privileges, but there was, a, there was just a lot of stuff going on. I was always just heavily involved in doing things. Mm-hmm. And um, as I've mentioned before, I think a lot of it was more of, you know, just wanted to not be a disappointment and I wanted to do a good job. And I liked the affirmation and the uh, congratulations, pat on the back, that kind of thing. And I would say it was almost an addiction um, where, where you just wanted those things. And so you would just look for anything you could do to help. I was the pick me guy. I'd be like, yep, I'll do it. I'll volunteer, uh, you know, any, any day, any time. Um, and, and a lot of it, honestly, um, it wasn't, I don't think it was sincere. The only thing that I think that was sincere is that I, I do care a lot about people. That's something yeah. that I was, uh, my grandmother and my mother especially taught me that. So I genuinely saw people depressed or I saw people that needed help and they called it the shepherding calls. Mm -hmm. I loved shepherding calls because 
I love to be able to try to brighten somebody's day and make them feel better about themselves. Hmm. And I never questioned it. Well, why, why is everybody so depressed and, and sad? Because when we get up on the stage, we say we're hmm. God's happiest people. And it was like right. the brain was trying to reconcile the two and it wasn't working. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. that's that's really interesting um so uh so you enjoyed the the shepherding part of it i'm i'd like to come back obviously to your life story in a moment but just um that's got me uh, thinking about a question so one of the things that we talk about on this show is um how we kind of use our experiences and um who we were as jehovah's witnesses or whatever group we were in and we kind of it, it makes sense to us in the here and now. So have you been able to um, sort of use that, although we don't call it shepherding anymore, but, you know, having friends that you can help and that you can be there for, or even your professional life, have you been able to um, replace that bit that you liked with something that you can now do um, that isn't as a Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, that's a great, a great question. And I would say absolutely um, I, I, I look at myself as having empathy and understanding. Um, I just thought everybody thought that way. And, and part of it, you know, you're, you're trying to find a common ground when you're out in the ministry, especially mm. you're trying to say, okay, they, they like this, they like that. So it, it, it taught me to be hyper observant, which yeah. can get you into trouble too, because you overthink things. <laughs> but, sure. but on the other end of it, um, I just pick up on little nuances and it's enabled me with the company I work for. Uh, I, I do not have a college degree and yet I'm, I'm a corporate manager for the entire United States uh, related to training. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not a bragging point. It's more of, I really feel like I was picked for it just because they saw how I treated people. Um, mm-hmm. Cause managers have to be firm, but they also need to be able to understand what people need. Um, so, so from a professional environment, I don't have any doubts that uh, this upbringing that I had was instrumental in helping me to to be successful in that role. Uh, but I think my most rewarding part has been uh, we have we call it a mentor program with some of the local schools. Um, there's right. kids that don't have a parent, um, and so uh, you go to the school and you eat lunch with them. And uh, they might be an orphan. They might be um, they might just be somebody that's having a really bad family life. And you can just yeah. sit with them and eat the uh, eat the little slice of pizza or the sandwich they give you at lunch, and just chat with them, and mm. uh, and, and that's that's fun too. Um, but mm. I, I I just enjoy the fact that I feel like I can just chat with anybody and listen mm. with a, with an opportunity not to like respond, but rather to understand what it is that they're going through. And um, I, I'm still in that figuring out my life phase. And I, yeah. I'd like to use that in other means um, because you thought you were being charitable by throwing magazines at people. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, on this time that we have on earth, we don't know what we have, but we can at least be kind and loving to people and try to understand their perspective. So um, I'm very, I don't want to say passive, but I, I try not to put my, my, uh, my, dig my heels in on any particular issue because I always say there's sure. two sides to everything. Um, mm. Even, even if the side may be wrong, 
who knows? Um, you know, but I don't, I, I've, I've tried to be less black and white because that's how everything was in the organization. It was either right or wrong and everything had to have a rule. Um, absolutely. So. Yeah. And, and I think, um, it's so nice to be able to, as you just described beautifully, um, just sit and listen and be there for somebody without having an agenda, you know, without thinking, Oh, I must do a witness here. You know, I must, I must try and, um, as you said, give them a magazine or invite them to the next meeting or, you know, you, you don't have to do any of that now. You can listen, you can actually empathize and yeah, it's just so, so nice to be able to do that. And it's great that you've found a couple at least of ways of being able to kind of do that as you left your former life. So that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You're a trainer. I, I, I'm also a trainer and the guy we talked to last night from South Africa, he's, he's also a trainer. Um, I think, you know, that is, is a, a very, uh, well, because I suppose as male witnesses, we were trained to do public speaking and so on. Uh, much more difficult for, for women, I think, but, um, but that is an area that I think does, it does mean you can use some of those skills that, that you learned. Yeah, you, you've been talking about your sort of story. I mean, at what point was it you started to have um, doubts? Or I know you were saying the reasons you were being so spiritual were not necessarily because you were like super into believing there were different sort of motives. But what were, I guess, what was your point at which you were like, oh, this isn't right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, if I, if I answered it in real time when it was happening, I would have said at that moment, but again, being reflective of everything, I think the reason why I, I woke up, um, and I'll, I'll give the details, but I think that the underlying reason was because I was raised where everything again was, was black and white and there was always rules and it, it honestly, it created a path where it was very easy to be acceptable. You know, as long as my watchtower was underlined on Sunday, then the mic handler wasn't going to rat me out to the elders that, hey, Jared's not studying his watchtower <laughs> or mom could look over. So, you know, sometimes it was like I would just underline the uh, magazine. In fact, me and my buddies, we have like sleepovers and, and we would each say, okay, you get paragraphs one through six, I'll get seven through 12. And then we would just swap magazines and underline the same stuff. And then we'd say, okay, who's going to answer this one? And then we'd have two or three answers prepared. You know, as long as you were that good kid that, you know, you studied, you, you did all of that. So it was, it was the, the control that you were in where you can't watch this video. You can't listen to this music. So all that made me hyper vigilant to, making sure that I, I followed all of those rules. And I know that you're going to, um, you're going to have different opinions and rules based on the region that you're in. I know different countries behave differently in my travels through work while I was a Jehovah's witness. Sometimes I think that helped me wake up to just saying, wait a minute, they're a little bit more laid back over here. What, you know, <laughs> when I was in Finland, I remember they had, they had beer in the pantry at the, uh, at the Bethel in Helsinki. Oh, wow. And I was like, Oh, well, that's, that's interesting. You know? And it was just all these things like, but, but again, it was like, it was just going into the back of my mind and staying on the shelf and I didn't think anything of it. Um, so, so going forward, 
the, the thing that woke me up was um, I was working in the audio video department. And as uh, I'm sure it's been talked about, you know, about 2014 or so, they started, they launched the uh, JW broadcast and they started using, they started using media at the assemblies, you know, which was just amazing because there was nothing worse than having to sit for seven or eight hours and you just heard people talk. So it was like, Hey, Mm -hmm. pictures, moving video, this is great. And, uh, and I was working behind the scenes uh, to, uh, to make sure that the uh, video was proper and all of that. And it was the, the 2015, I believe uh, convention or 2016, but it was, they had this. They had these videos of how everybody was was faithful, and then at the end they played this music. I still like the song actually, uh, but it was this beautiful instrumental version, and it just kind of was like post Armageddon. Everybody's walking slowly, um, you know, coming back together. They're on the beach. Everybody's been resurrected. It was a very emotional piece. I remember crying during it. I think everybody in the convention cried over that. My mom just bawled her head off because it wasn't too earlier than that. She had lost her mom. My grandma had died. But mm-hmm. so, it, you know, again, an emotional response. So my mom was like, I love that song. And I know we're going to have to wait. But is there maybe maybe you could find that song for me? And of course, she's thinking the whole time, you know, well, this was the uh, Bethel Orchestra that did this. So I, I look up the the uh, the information. I'm trying to find stuff, and uh, that's when the internet got me because I found somebody had downloaded that song onto YouTube. Uh, the the whole the whole video it was a music video, mm-hmm. and uh, the the song was uh, actually by a group called Audio Machine. And the song was called Eternal Flame. And that was like, I, I, I don't know how to describe the feeling other than the, uh, the, the panic that ensued because all my radar went off, alarms, buzzers, danger, danger, warning. What is this? Why is the, why is the religion that I've been so protective of using an outside source for a song and then it got worse because I was like, well, who's Audio Machine? Maybe it's some brothers and sisters that just, you know, they've got this group. Well, Audio Machine, they're, they make a lot of soundtrack music and trailer music, uh, video game music. And some of their biggest customers are some of these uh, active shooter uh, role-playing games, uh, you know, ghosts and things like that. And, and again, whatever. I don't care about that now. But at the time, you can imagine, I'm like, oh, my goodness, why would they use that? And this is a this is a, a company and a, and a group that's doing all this other stuff. And then if you if you have a chance to Google the Eternal Flame Audio Machine album cover, it's not something that you would find in publications if you want to put it that way. <laughs> so 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 this happens, and I'm like, okay, why would they do that? And of course, curiosity got me, and I, I started googling more. And um, it was uh, Jehovah's Witnesses.net um, was it was like Jehovah-Witnesses.net was a forum. I think it's still out there. I just started reading different things and there was a link in there to JWFacts.com. Right. And so when I went to JWFacts.com, I literally had an emotional breakdown um, mm-hmm. because this was information 
that was from our publications. And you can control information by gradually releasing new books. Mm. You've got the Watchtower Library. You can look things up, but there's no... It's not really it's not really easy to pull out the information, whereas JW Facts had kind of taken it to another level where it made it easy for you to find the stuff. You knew it wasn't photoshopped or manipulated because I would go and grab those books. I would stay late because, of course, I had a key to the uh, the Kingdom Hall. I'd go in, mm. you know, under guise of like I need to look things up and. You know, I would I would go in there and I'd pull these books off the shelf and be like, oh, my goodness, it really did say that. So you want to talk about we use the term strengthening your faith. <laughs> they like to use that. It was like it strengthened my my idea that, oh, boy, what have I opened up? It was literally a can of worms. Um, and, and, you know, so that's that's 2015, 2016. And I'm going through this and it was like I I didn't know what I was going to do because I'd been in judicial committees as an elder, as the one that's removing people and realizing the emotional pain that they were going through um, mm. and, and knowing that was going to happen to me if I decided right. to leave. So mm. that's kind of where I was at. Um, I, d- I just didn't know what to do. Um, so I kind of just lived the uh, physically in, mentally out role uh, for a lot of time for several, several months. Um, so it was, it was, uh, you know, and I, I throw feelers out there. Like, have you heard about this or, um, and then, uh, and then the thing that pushed me over the edge was getting into the, the, uh, the child abuse. Um, the, uh, the, one of these guys at work came up to me, um, saying, you know, you, you always say so many bad things about other religions and, and everything. And you're, mm. you're no better. And I'm like, what do you mean? And um, the Australian Royal Commission had kind of escaped my view. It was relatively, at that time, it had just happened and the information was coming out. So I didn't see any of that. So then I looked it up and I started watching the YouTube videos mm. and seeing Jeffrey Jackson there in the uh, dissertation. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Mm. And that was... Um, that was the point where the, the switch flipped. Like I was like, I'm done. I turned dead cold and I was like, I can't do this. Um, because I had worshiped the governing body. If I, I didn't say it at the time or think it, but, but knowing where I put them on high and, uh, you know, it was like, they are infallible. They can't do anything wrong. And then reading crisis of conscience and seeing, seeing all that, it was just like, it all just started, the, the house of cards fell very well. Yeah, it sounds like an avalanche. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Great way to describe it. That's really interesting. I mean, um, I suppose one of the first things that I think about was your your initial realizations were down to the extremist way that you were taught to think that, you know, everything in the outside is bad and everything inside is good. So when you see a um the society the organization the governing body using a worldly band um you know who do these other bad things you know that that stumbles you that makes you feel there's this already you've got this dissonance but really it's completely normal practice for organizations to use third party suppliers of footage and uh, music and so on but it's it's because of the extreme 
way we were raised to think that you know all inside is good all outside is bad sure that 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 had that impact so it's it's they kind of shoot themselves in the foot don't they really yeah they absolutely do um you know it's 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 like these different things come out like um you know there's there's a guy that uh he 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 sings music on the side and he's part of the bethel chorus or choir however you like to call it and i'm going i'm like okay is it really wrong? Not really. Um, is it wrong for, for, um, Tony Morris to, to go and buy some single malt scotch? I mean, I don't like the kind that he likes, but it's more of the, what if that was me doing it? I would get yeah, called sure. down. And, and so that's the whole, exactly. that's the whole premise of all of this is yeah, honestly, besides, besides the, um, the shunning, um, the child abuse, and I would say the blood policy. Okay. They've got their quirks, but you create this environment where it's like you, if you're going to be that way, you better be that way. Exactly. And they're not. Exactly. And so then it's like, okay, because I I don't believe in rules for some and not for others. <laughs> and I and I know that we have that issue everywhere. That's not specific hmm. to them, but it's like if I have the cost of losing out on all these other things in life, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah, it's like we said before. You know, if you're going to set yourself up as a as a bastion of um, of truth and an island of um, you know proper behaviour, where the rest of Babylon the Great is is a cesspit. Then you know you better make sure you've got your own house in order. Um, and I think that is that is part of it, isn't it? I mean, I remember um, my uh, associates being almost beside themselves with glee about how the Catholics were exposed in terms of child abuse. You know, it was almost like rubbing their hands together, thinking. Um, yeah, you know, so oh, we're just not like that at all, you know, and obviously fast forward a few years and you start to see actually just the same that yep. organizations with poor protection, um, policies and some bad people in it that, um, that do some horrible things, you know, and, and, but the only reason we're surprised, I suppose, is because we were brainwashed or whatever into believing that everything is wonderful in the organization so yeah yeah that's um that that's the problem really as you say nothing wrong with buying a bottle of whiskey or 20 bottles if you want to sure um it's up to you it's your own business isn't it but don't don't try to um uh control other people if that's if that's what you want to do um so you you um so you're you're in this kind of pimo state which is um, we, we've interviewed um, uh, Jeffrey Wallace, who's written a book about that, um, and we obviously talked to lots of people. I think I was for a little while, if I now think back. Um, it's a very common state, but obviously it's a kind of untenable one, I think. Um, so at some point you felt you could no longer do that. So could you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Yeah, that, that was, um, that was a lot of, uh, sleepless nights. Um, I even remember the thing about my relationship with my parents is, um, very, very close with them. Mom and dad are like everything to me. They still are. Um, Mm. but I would go over there every Wednesday and, uh, after work because they lived about six, seven minutes away from where I work. And I just go over there and we would just chat. And of course, 
mom, mom being the Italian mom that she is, she's always trying to feed me. <laughs> and, and so it's, you know, it's just like, well, I know I'm going to go over there and, and, uh, and, and get, get a, a big plate of food or there's always something. And then just talk to mom and dad. And actually mm-hmm. me and my dad got close uh, later on. And so it was just like, it was a moment to go over there, but you know, even dad would say things that would like go, Oh, is he, is he questioning things too? You know, it's like, so, so I was like, um, I kind of went into it. I want to say misguided, but I had made some assumptions that my relationship with my parents was so strong that even when I come out on the other end of this, they'll, they'll be there. Um, because there were things that dad didn't, he's like, he's like, you know, the flood doesn't make sense to me. I just don't understand. Cause my, my dad is a super smart guy. You know, I don't sure. think that a college degree is any indication of your intelligence. Um, no. But he, he could reason on things. And so I'm like, Oh, okay, let's go there. Let's talk about that. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. not try to be emotional, but just say, you know, yeah, the atmospheric pressure, what would that have done? And, you know, why are there trees that are alive that were alive based on the, mm. you know, time frame? So anyway, all that mm. mom, of course, is just emotional about everything. Um, but it was, it was like, okay, I feel like that when this happens, it'll be okay. And even in the, in the background, I was talking to a lot of my family that were raised on my dad's side in the, uh, in the organization and they just never got baptized. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're like, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that your dad will come around. And I was like, so so I was like, you know what? I can't deal with this anymore. And um, at the same time, my uh, my marriage wasn't really doing well. And honestly, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to get into details about any of that. Sure. Uh, it's not really relevant. But no. I know that the, the religion part of it played a big role in it, too. Um, I feel like that that, that whole situation um, was exacerbated. But at the end of it, I says, let's just I'm just going to do this. Um, so I wrote a letter. Right. And uh, the uh, the letter was very specific as to my reasons. Um, yeah. And before that, I had had discussions with them. You know, I was I was almost trying to give them an excuse like, hey, give me a reason to stay. Like, um, you know, the, the one thing that weighed heavy on me, and this is just a a quick side point, but the blood issue, I watched a mother who had three children die on the hospital bed. I was an elder at the time because she didn't get a transfusion Mm. and she had leukemia, you know, and, and I saw that happen and, and I was like, oh, this is so horrible. Why this have to happen? Well, you know, one of the things that I read later on was about the uh, mother's mother's milk. Uh, contains a higher concentration mm. of white blood cells than white mm. than, than than our blood itself, and I was just like, okay, so so technically, me being the black and white person, I'm like, I can drink a glass mm. of mother's milk. Not that you'd want to do that, but I'm just saying you could, and that'd be okay. And yet, you can't get a, a transfusion to save your life, and so all of that. And so I brought this reasoning up to the two elders that came to kind of give me a pep talk, <laughs> and. Uh, they looked at me and he says, you know what? You, you may be right, Jared, which that's okay. I may be, but they said, even, even if we're, we're not exactly clear on all this, that's what the resurrection is for. Oh, and it was that, that callous, cold response 
was just like another dagger. Like, you know what? No, there's always going to be an excuse. There's always going to be reasoning. And then you've just got this carte blanche coverall resurrection thing. And I'm not getting into people's beliefs because I, I don't, I don't discount anybody. You have a right to believe what you want, but I'm just looking at sure. this harmful belief <laughs> based on an idea. I was like, God, if he's really loving, why would he allow all that pain and suffering that could be prevented by just saying, yeah, go ahead and get a blood transfusion. There's already enough pain and suffering. There's already enough problems we can't avoid. Why would you create more? Um, so, so yeah, I just, I just was like, nah, that's, that's it. Wrote my letter. Um, I went over to mom and dad's house. It was uh, May of 2019. I actually, I didn't send you that picture. Uh, because I didn't want it to become an emotional thing because it's very hard to think about. But it is it is the day that, you know, I hugged mom and dad. I says, I just want you to know they're going to make an announcement. Um, you know, I love you guys greatly. They hugged me and said they love me. And that's the last time that we spoke. Um, you know, they they totally cut me off. Um, so it's it's uh, it, it sounds weird, but being raised in such a black and white environment and having such a, an, uh, uh, an absolute way of viewing things, which I don't agree with, but it has shaped me. It actually made me able to just come to a dead stop mm. um, and, and, and put that emotional baggage in a silo, as it were. And obviously I, I got to unpack that sometime, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that's, sure. that's, uh, that's where that's where I'm at. And and it was interesting because, you know, then it's, oh, Jared's going to become, you know, my brother would tell me, you know, people think you're going to fall off a cliff. You're going to start turning into a womanizer and you're going to start doing drugs and all types of bad things. And I'm like, well, let's see. And so <laughs> I got promoted at work, um, became the manager, um, was able to help out in some social programs that, again, you weren't allowed to do like God forbid yeah. I go and try to, you know, donate to a, a shelter that needs some sleeping bags for the homeless yeah. or things like that because yeah. we're supposed to give all our money to the worldwide work. So, so it's yeah. like my life has felt more fulfilled in two years since then than than the rest of it because for the first time in my life, I'm not doing things to impress people and I'm not doing it to get a pat on the back and I'm not doing it to have somebody say, good job, Jared. I'm just doing it because one, I can do it without any strings attached. I'm just doing mm. it because it's what I want to do. And there's so yeah. much freedom in that. There's so much uh, pressure off of my shoulders and I sleep good at night. I, I, I truly, <laughs> when I put my head down on the pillow and that says something when the indescribable pain of shunning and for anybody else that's going to listen to this, I know they know what that's like uh, who have shunning going on. Mm. That hurts. But to know that even despite that, I still feel good. It definitely gives me that resolve that I made the right decision. Um, I think that's such a wonderful message, yeah. Jared. Um, a really important one mm -hmm. um, to for people to hear um, who, as you say, are going through that or may go through that. And also that there's such a, a great, um, you know, there's there's prospects on the other side of it, isn't there? You know, you've you've described that so beautifully. So I think that was really mm -hmm. important. Yeah, really beautiful sentiments, and yeah. like we always like to, yeah, frame the the good reasons for leaving. We don't want it to make people afraid. We want them to know it's um, 
yeah, it's good on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so is there anything else that, um, so we're coming sort of to the end of, um, of the hour. We normally, we normally spend an hour with our guests because not because we don't want to talk more, but generally sure. that's as much as, um, people feel able to, to talk. Um, is there anything though that you, uh, think, well, I'd like to, we haven't talked about this that I really wanted to, is there anything else? Um, I, I think that uh, just continuing to just talk about, you know, those that may be struggling with making that okay. choice. Um, you know, the world is painted and I use the world. I, I still have these uh, these phrases, these JW isms. Yes. <laughs> People yes. still look at me weird like what? <laughs> but <laughs> but, um, you know, um, if, if, if you're on the fence and, and you're just like, I don't know if I can do it. The, the world or the people that are not JWs are painted as so bad. Um, but I found so many kind people and, you know, there's bad people everywhere. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know what, there's a lot of genuinely kind and good people that are Jehovah's witnesses. Yeah, I, I think so. they're I th- actually, I think that makes up the majority of them. Um, yeah. But that's okay. true. Of, that's true of the entire, the entire uh, world. Um, yeah. So, the biggest thing um, that was helpful for me was to just jump in. You know, they say if you want to learn to swim, you got to get in the water. And I know that's easier said than done. But, um, you know, the, the, the fact is there are so many things that are out there that you can get true help for. And, and, and the one thing is, you know, there's we talk about pandemics. I think there's a pandemic of, of mental illness um, depression, anxiety is so prevalent, especially with younger people. The thing is, is the JW culture creates anxiety. It creates depression that exacerbates what you already have. Um, you know, so even, even myself, uh, you know, and and everybody's different. I struggle less with anxiety and depression now than I did when I thought I was getting all the Holy spirit and all the, Mm. all the help from the publications. You know, and now I'm like, oh, I can actually go see, I can go see a, a therapist, and we can talk about it. And they're professionally trained; they're not just going to say, "Here, read this awake; it'll make you feel better." Um, go, or pray more. Pray more. Go out and serve. Get more involved. More. Yeah, yeah, more involved. Yeah. yeah. If you drain yourself more, you'll feel more filled. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yes. um, so yeah, I think um, you know the the thing is is that the the danger with that is, and I fell into this was you get so angry, you don't let it go. And even if it's justifiable anger, like I can still get angry. Um, my hatred of the governing body and their policies is very strong. <laughs> um, yeah. But I had to let it go because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically wanting them to die from the poison that I'm drinking. And that's not, that's not any way to live your life. So my caution is, I think that there's there's two sides in the XJW community. There's some that have a tendency to be hyper focused on the negative things, hmm. um, and I think that you got to do that to to heal a little bit. But find something in your life that you can go and do without strings attached. If you wanna hmm. if you wanna go back to school, go back to school. Now there's so many programs to get an education. Hmm. Um, get an education if you want to do something yeah. socially helpful. Uh, go do that. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to Puerto Rico in a couple of months to help do some rebuilding with some uh, homes that were destroyed for the hurricane and earthquakes they've had. And they're not, we're not going to like help out 
only exclusively this religion. You know, it's like you're helping out people because they're human yeah. beings. <laughs> you're not doing it to give a witness, are you? Yeah. You're not doing it yeah. to, to look good for, for the, yeah, the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, that's no, the big great. thing is just, just yeah. find something that you can do and know that it is better. It is better. Yeah. I think that's, that's great. Um, I, I guess, um, it's always good to think about if you, uh, I, we don't give advice really. So I'm always yeah. very careful about giving people advice. It, it, you know, it's, it's up to individuals what they want to do. Um, advice I found useful is, um, uh, that there's a few books out there that talk about the process of, of leaving and, um, you know, making some plans and thinking about making the right time. You know, this is, this is the way I'm going to do it and so on. Um, I think some good advice there. Um, but I think everybody has to work it out for themselves. But like you, I think it's important to, to give a message that it's not the world out there is not the cesspit that, um, that you were conditioned to believe it is. Yes, there are some dangers. Um, and we have to be a bit careful. I think we are a little bit vulnerable when we leave yes. an organization like Jehovah's Witnesses because we are a bit, um, we have a tendency to want to look for those black and white answers and it's easy to get sucked into another set of um, black and white answers. So I think there are some risks and uh, yeah, of course you can't trust everyone. Um, but um, but yeah, it's not it's not the sort of horror show that um, uh, that, that the organization makes you think it is. Very so, true. Um, yeah, I think that's that's good uh, good advice. Great. Well, um, Celine, is there anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, I think, like I said, um, oh, it was really lovely hearing yeah. that, that positive uh, positivity at the end because, um, yeah, that's our whole um, yeah, raise on yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you, Jared. We had a few. Um, for the listeners' sake, I don't know whether you'll notice anything, but we had some technical issues where we had to restart a few times. Thanks for, for bearing with us on that one, Jared. It was well worth it from our point of view. Oh, yeah. uh, so thank you very much for being on What Should I Think About? Thank you very thank much. You. I appreciate the opportunity. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 